I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and we got a lot to get to today, so let's just get right to it. My co-hosts today are Mr. Matthew Aguilar. What up? Ms. Janelle Wheeler. Hey, everybody. And joining us for the first time on Comic Book Nation, yeah, yeah. one of our comics experts, gaming experts. We're happy to have them. Mr. Logan Moore is with us. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. And we had to bring Logan on for his expertise about a particular comic that we are about to kind of discuss, which has just become a new show on Amazon and is quickly gaining steam. And we had to bring the creator of the series on to talk about it and so many other things with us. So we would like to welcome to Comic Book Nation, Mr. Robert Kirkman. Hello. Yeah. Hey, I hate to start off with this, but uh, technically uh, co-creator. Uh, Corey sure. Walker uh, co-created Invincible with me. Got to give that guy credit. Oh, He's yeah, absolutely. Sorry about absolutely. that. We are a comic book podcast, and we are very much uh, sensitive to that. So co-creator, and we wanted to give all credits where credit is due. But this is why we have Logan here, because our real Invincible expert is Mr. Logan Moore. And uh, for his first time on the show, we thought he should be able to pitch the first question to you, Mr. Robert Kirkman. All right. This is this is intense to bring me on and put the pressure of you're the invincible expert. Ask Robert Kirkman the questions you've always been wanting to ask. Yeah, no pressure. No yeah, we do no all, pressure at all. We kind of do auditions I, like that uh, Social Network movie where they just like had people coding and taking shots. That's kind of what we 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 learned from that. <laughs> so you're up, kid. Go for it, uh, Robert. Yeah, I mean the show's been awesome so far. Uh, we talked beforehand a little bit. Like I've read all the comics, so obviously I'm familiar with the source material. Seeing this come to life in an animated form has been crazy and is something I never really expected when I was reading the comic books five, six years ago when the run was still going on. Uh, what I've enjoyed the most is like seeing everybody's reactions to it. And I assume that's something you've enjoyed as well. Uh, but what I've also really enjoyed, especially with this most recent episode, is that you guys are starting to change some things. Uh, there were some things that happened at the end of episode five. We're recording this, I guess, before six comes out. There were some things before episode five that I, or at the end of episode five that I was not expecting. Um, what has been, what has that process been like for you guys creating it uh, to not only make it something that new fans want to get into, but also people like myself kind of keeping me on my toes, not really knowing what you guys are going to throw next. Yeah. I mean, I think with, with everything I do, part of the appeal is that you don't really know what's going to happen next. I, I really enjoy surprising people and I really enjoy people keep, uh, keeping people on the edge of their seat. And so when it comes to adapting something, um, you know, I'm aware that there is a segment of the audience that is going to have some kind of awareness as to where the story may be going. Um, and it's really fun to, you know, play against those expectations and, and uh, get in there and mix things up. I mean, we're working with a very talented writing team. I mean, 
I'm not doing any of these scripts. I mean, I, I, wrote, I wrote the first episode and the last episode of the season, and then I'm collaborating with everybody on all the episodes uh, in between. Uh, and it's and it's fun for me because it's it's kind of like a second draft of the comic book series to a certain extent. This is a comic book series that I wrote, uh, you know, many many years in my past. And it's fun to get in there and dig out the issues and go, okay, well, you know, the story might be better if we do this and we can add a character that does this and we can, you know, focus on this aspect that we didn't necessarily focus on much in the comics. And, you know, it's fun to get in there and, uh, and tweak things. Yeah, I heard you talk, in, I think, in like a previous interview about how the big reveal at the end of episode one, I'm still not going to say it in case anybody's going to, you know, binge watch the whole show once they all, all the episodes come out. And but what was revealed to be an ant person. Yeah, <laughs> maybe one day, something it's along weird. those lines. Um, but yeah, the reveal at the end of episode one, you you obviously push, push forward a little bit more because I, I, I heard you say that you wanted to keep everybody a little bit more interested from the outset. Yeah. And one of those things you could tweak. Um, is this something you're planning on doing, I guess, moving forward into the future of the show as well? I mean, I know you've not got anything announced outside of the first eight episodes, but is are you going to keep tweaking things and maybe moving things around in the timeline of where the comic of where things happen in the comics? Yeah, I think that um, we have the benefit of hindsight when it comes to adapting the 144 issue run. And, uh, you know, I have to admit that the uh, comic book series, uh, you know, I very much had like benchmarks that I wanted to get to. And there were always larger stories I was I was working toward, but there was a little bit of meandering along the way. And, um, you know, I, I was very much making things up as I went along in a lot of places over that run. And so to be able to streamline things uh, and rearrange things, I think you can already see, um, you know, the material, I mean, the material in episode four actually took place after the material that's in episode five yeah. in the comic book series. And both of the majority of the stories from those two episodes took place uh, much later in the comic book series uh, than they are taking place now. There's events that haven't happened, very big events that haven't happened yet in the show that had already happened mm -hmm. with the Mars story and the, uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm, yeah. Yeah, and the and the <laughs> Titan story. I, 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 I was thinking about episode six for a minute. And I was gonna I was say, like, tell us what uh, happens in episode eight. <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, so uh, you bring up, a, you actually set me up for the next thing I want to ask you right away too, because the thing, one of my favorite things about the comic is that you would set things up like 20 issues in advance sometimes where you just turn the page and there's a one-off couple pages where just things are happening. You're like, I don't, I don't, who is this guy? Who's this Angstrom Levy person? What is going on? Yeah. And you start setting those things up like way far in advance before the payoffs happen. Has that been hard to adapt for the TV show? I guess uh, maybe laying those, those, that groundwork for what you want to do in the future, especially because like I said, nothing's greenlit past the first eight episodes. So I'm sure you don't want to throw out too many things and set too many things up for the future. If future seasons sure. don't happen, which they should happen. And I, uh, I, I like to live dangerously. So there was never any consideration made for, well, this might be the only season. Like we definitely peppered in stuff that we plan to address in seasons two, three, four, five, and six, you know, should they happen? Uh, fingers crossed. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I will, I'll pull a curtain back a little bit uh, at the risk of getting in trouble and just say the, the Cahor opening at the beginning of episode four, which was uh, written by Ryan Ridley who is absolutely brilliant um uh like we plan to come back to that at some point uh that okay. was to me like one of the cool subplots from the comics where it's like ryan came in and was like i've got this idea for this opening 
It's like this really complicated, like mummy ritual thing. And then <laughs> it's just a gag because Invincible's flying by. I don't know if that's okay. And I was like, oh my God, like that is the absolute perfect thing for this show. That is, you know, it's it's like a, a cool subplot from the comic that isn't actually from the comic. And uh, a lot of the executives on the show, uh, when we, when the script went in said, uh, well, this, uh, and I'll, I'll spoil something. So, so this is gonna, this is, I'm spoiling something now. So get ready. Uh, they're like, well, this doesn't come back this season. Like you can't do this. Like people are going to want to know what's going on with Kahur. And I was like, no, no, it's a, it's a gag in the desert right now. <laughs> but in season four, when all of the heroes have to band together to fight Kahur, like it's going to be a cool thing that it was just this throwaway gag in season one that came back to be this, you know, major story in the future. And that's kind of the charm of this show. And it, it took a lot of convincing to get them to go, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You're a weirdo. Uh, I guess we'll let you have your fun. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 you know, it was a little bit of work to try and maintain that sense of, uh, weirdness i guess from the comics but uh thankfully we have so anyway if you're looking forward to the return of cahor in season one of the Pencil, <laughs> it is not happening. there's an exclusive you've got to wait yeah. um <laughs> robert you're one of my you're one of the most interesting figures to me about kind of getting into this uh going from the process of the comic book page to these big mainstream projects and adapting them um, we've seen something like The Walking Dead, which obviously took its own path and became mm -hmm. its own thing. And we've seen Invincible, which you just kind of discussed, maybe closer to the comics, but still has tweaks going on. I'm really interested about Invincible specifically because we now that we've seen this animated show and, and fans are really kind of getting into it, there still is a separate Invincible movie project going on. Yes. And you, it's so interesting to me that you're now, these are two adaptations coming. Can you Talk a little bit about that process, about what the animated show is achieving versus what you see yeah. happening with the live action film. Uh, this is one of those uncomfortable questions that I get from time to time. Uh, uh, another another one is, uh, so what's going on with the Rick Grimes movie? Uh, which may have been coming <laughs> later. I don't know. Uh, and and it's and it's and it's Boy, frustrating Lord. because uh, there is nothing I can really talk about publicly, even though there's a thousand things that I know in my head and all kinds of cool things that I can't wait to talk about. But I'm just not allowed to reveal anything yet. Um, there is a lot of care being put into the development of the live action Invincible movie to make sure that it is. Uh, true to the comics and also very different from the animated series. And there are things that the animated series is not doing that the live action movie will be able to do, but I can't focus on those things or talk about those things because it, because it is unfortunately uh, uh, too early, but it is a really unique situation to be doing uh, the two of them simultaneously. And it's really cool to be able to sit back and go, okay, the animated series is going to cover this. The movie is going to cover this. This is the kind of story we tell in the movie. This is the kind of story we tell in the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, making sure that both of those things are kind of tailor-made for their different audiences and will, you know, be unique and exciting experiences that can be enjoyed separately, but, you know, will also form an overall like invincible tapestry where you'll be like, oh, there's this thing could be so many different things. Uh, if they, I, I, I'm sorry for the vagueness of that answer. No, oh, no it's no, great. That's, that's so perfect. you can't, you can't tell us that we're going to have any casting overlaps, like uh, maybe Stephen Yun in that lead role. <laughs> I love him so uh, much. If 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 we could somehow make Stephen Yun 17 again, yes. <laughs> I mean, he looks so young. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. He does. He's he does. fabulous skin. Until he takes uh, and, the shirt off and looks yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then you're like, I've never seen a 17 year old like that. I'm but, totally uh, cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, uh, which kind of brings us to our next thing. You just announced that your Skybound X anniversary project celebrating 10 years of Skybound comics, by the way, congratulations. Yes. Um, it will feature new stories about Rick Grimes, The Walking Dead, and some other uh, characters that we know from The Walking Dead um, universe. Really yeah. just want to know, can you tease anything for us? Can you give us anything that wasn't in the initial press uh, release? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I will clarify that uh, this is uh, the very talented Tilly Walden that is doing a, uh, a handcrafted Clementine story all of her own, which will uh, so cool. you know, definitely relate to the video games in some really cool ways and That's definitely awesome. exists in continuity in canon in universe. So if you're a huge fan of those games and you're, and you're jonesing for some more Clementine, uh, you know, this is where you'll find it, uh, for now. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the Rick Grimes story that we're doing, uh, is, uh, a very different Rick Grimes than is in the comic book, uh, Ooh. basically in, uh, okay. So here's what happened for anyone who doesn't know in walking dead issue two, three, eight, so on, there were letters columns. And in the letters columns, I would get letters where people would say things like, I'm really enjoying this series, but I don't see how it has legs. I feel like it's going to run out of steam by like issue 25. And as much as I love it, I really don't want you to, you know, run out of ideas. I don't know how you're going to keep this thing going for any amount of time. And uh, uh, in hindsight, it seems kind of funny, but at the time, you know, <laughs> valid concern. Uh, but I would always answer by saying, you're absolutely right. I'm definitely going to run out of steam, but I'm going to keep this thing going no matter what. So I'm probably going to run out of ideas around issue 75, and then I'm going to have aliens invade. And so when we got to issue 75, uh, in the print version of issue 75, I enlisted Ryan Otley, uh, the artist on Invincible, to do a zany Walking Dead story in the back where aliens invaded and all of the Walking Dead characters, for lack of a better term, became superheroes and fought zombies and aliens at the same time. <laughs> and it was like an eight-page story. And um, I did it in a way that there was a cliffhanger in the issue and then there was the letters column. And then I did a fake page that Charlie drew that led into the alien invading story. So it seemed like it was in the actual story uh, aside from there being a letters column in between them. And so I did get letters where people were like, you've ruined the book. Ridiculous. I think it's amazing. Michonne has a lightsaber and there's aliens awesome. everywhere and the governor's back and he's got like a big crab claw thing. Uh, but it was just a bit of fun. And that story has never been reprinted. And so a lot of people aren't even aware it exists, but if you go back and find a back issue of walking dead 75, you'll see that. Um, when we were coming up for the 10th anniversary and we were talking about doing this thing, I was like, well, that eight pages has never been, reprinted anywhere a lot of people don't know it exists so let's dig that out and then ryan and i will expand it into a massive story that we can break into chapters and put in each one of these skybound x books and so we've been working on that quietly over the last you know year and a half or so um while he's been doing various uh, uh marvel things and uh, uh and it's really cool it's it's a completely separate walking dead universe that has aliens in it it's a very fun and action-packed uh, a really cool adventure uh, that isn't in any way in continuity with The Walking Dead. So it doesn't ruin anything if you uh, are a Walking Dead purist and don't want to see Rick Grimes uh, cutting up aliens with a lightsaber. <laughs> but if you don't want to see Rick Grimes cut up aliens with a lightsaber, I don't want to be your friend. I right? agree. Yeah, that I sounds dope. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing in that sentence that I objected to at all. Right, yes. Um, I just want to see him with the second hand again, so I'll read that. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got lightsaber as his second hand. 
and he can shoot it off of his hand uh, and it's connected to a cable and it retracts and he can get over right. here. So it's it's there the best. Yeah, awesome. yeah, his hand is basically Scorpion's spear. <laughs> I, I got to get a question in from the comments. Uh, people have heard you now talking about zombies, I mean, superheroes, aliens. Some people have spotted, and we talked about the poster in the background of your of your shot for people who yeah. are not walking in with me. It's uh, Transformers yeah. the movie, the 1986 movie. So people are wondering, when are we going to get a giant robot story from you? <laughs> I will say there are giant robots <laughs> in the Rick Grimes 2000 story that's yes. in Skybound X, uh, which is very cool. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, at some point, I will. Um, it's also possible that there is a transforming giant robot at some point in season one of Invincible. So look for that. Oh, there it is. <laughs> this has been awesome. Thank you for offering up so much information. That's on the everything. money tease right there, man. You're yeah, like an awesome interview. Book.com turn every individual soundbite into an article. <laughs> yeah. That is what we do. That is yeah. what we are doing. <laughs> is, yeah, that is exactly what I do. Totally Keep it up, Jim Biscardi. <laughs> Robert, I mean, so we're talking about Invincible and we've brought up like the movie and stuff like that. And I know you can't say much about that, but I feel like the animated series is uh, the first time that the show or that the, the show, I guess it is a show now. The series is really getting like widespread appeal or widespread attention. And the yeah. last time that happened with The Walking Dead, you know, then it turned into a huge media property, video games and all this stuff. I have to ask because I'm a gaming writer on our staff. Or it's, oh. This isn't even an ask. This is a request me pleading to you because we have you here okay. on the show for a few minutes. If you make an invincible video game, I think it has to be a fighting game. I have thought about this in my head for the last eight years or something like this. How could they make an invincible game? What is the best way to do this? Fighting game to me seems like the best way to go. I have nothing else to say. If you want to respond to that, I just need to throw that out there and make sure somebody heard it with Paul over at Skybound <laughs> to get an, an invincible fighting game to be a thing. And let's see it at Evo one day. We're getting like a nod. <laughs> <laughs> this show is used no, to I, I'm a, I, I'm a, uh, sorry. I'm a huge fighting game guy. I loved, uh, yeah, I, I, I grew up on street fighter two, mortal Kombat. I love the Tekken series. Uh, I think it would be absolutely perfect. Uh, Marvel versus Capcom, you know, like those, those kind yeah. of things. Uh, you want to have those, like there's uh, 80 characters over here and 80 characters over here and you can pick those characters and make them fight. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Um, I think that would be really cool, I think is all I can say right now. Ooh. Yeah, I, I know you can't say anything about it. I just wanted to plant a nugget in your head for maybe in the future. Be like, what did that guy bring up to me on a podcast one time? Are we doing a video game now? Um, I will say that I am such a fan of fighting games. The planting of that nugget was unnecessary. <laughs> hey, don't, worry. don't worry. If it happens, we got an article for every single fighter ready to go. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. I think that's about all the time we have. I think we got to let Robert go. Uh, I'm saying, Logan, did you have one more question before we uh, get out of here? I did, but if he's got to, if, if it's Let's kind of it. in the weeds. All right. Uh, the one thing that I really loved about the first episode specifically, because I feel like that's been the biggest episode for so many people with Invincible, is that okay. there was a lot of action in the episode, but you guys intentionally held off on the gore until the very ending. How obviously intentional was it to make the reveal at the end a double-edged reveal of not only, oh, something's not up right with Omni-Man like you're thinking, but also, also this is a incredibly violent, gory series. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was very difficult. Um, it was written in the script specifically, uh, you know, like, don't, there's no gore, yada, yada, yada. 
Um, you know, I, I also tried to keep the profanity to an absolute minimum. Like yeah. I wanted you to really, I wanted you to be watching that episode going, they said it was mature. There was a warning at the beginning of the episode. I, I <laughs> exactly what like I was I doing. My kids to watch this. I don't know what, and then you go, ah, when you get to the end. Um, uh, there, there was actually uh, some animation that came back where uh, Steve, the character that John Hamm plays, his arm is stepped on by the Baller twins and it breaks and there's like blood shooting everywhere. And I had to have them uh, redo that uh, because I didn't want you to see any kind of blood or anything uh, leading nice. to that uh, so that smart. last scene. So, so yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a lot of work, uh, uh, you know, making sure that everything was, you know, I mean, even the Titan fight, I mean, you know, that, that could have been a little bit more violent. I mean, as you watch the rest of the season, it's like, oh yeah, no, like people should have been getting their arms ripped off <laughs> in the uh, alleyway. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I wanted that. And the last sequence, I mean, it's, I'm so excited about it. It turned out so much better than I could have ever imagined. It is so unrelentingly like gory and over the top. Like it's the best button I've ever had on the end of any episode that I've ever done. The animators did such an amazing job on that sequence. And I think yeah. because like, even if it was just here, it would have been kind of startling and I'm making a hand motion about halfway up the screen. But the fact that they put it like way up here at the top, uh, I think really delivered and, and uh, uh, you know, I'm really happy with how that, that episode has been received. And, and those animators uh, don't get nearly enough uh, uh, credit. Yeah, they yeah. Also, by the way, just have to mention that soundtrack slaps. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Great to hear. Like episode five, like there's a, there's like a whole sequence as an episode five. I was like, oh my God, I could listen to this on repeat. I don't even need to watch it. I just need to listen to it. It's great. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. I just had to give props <laughs> where props are due. That's final, all. final props I, I got to give. Final props I got to give is uh, all the hard work paid off because I came to this just as as the show. And I watched that first episode and I was like, okay, so it's like the uh, 2000s Justice League cartoons. Okay, okay. And then I'm watching that final sequence and I was like, it's just like the 2000 <laughs> Justice League cartoons. Yeah, no. And then at the end, I was like, it's not like the 2000 Justice League cartoons. So uh, great job. But it also got me hooked. And, I, and I've been awesome. in ever since. So uh, we got to let Robert Kirkman go. We want to thank you for coming on and hope you come back with any one of the several thousand projects you may have in circulation in the coming weeks and Anytime. months. Uh, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank man. you. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Thanks Robert. Robert. Thanks, everybody. Bye. <laughs> All right, that was Mr. Robert Kirkman. If you guys are not checking out Amazon's Invincible, you really need to. There's a couple of things on Amazon right now you need to be checking out. We'll get to more on that later, but definitely every Friday, a new episode of Invincible is released. Jump into this show if you have not yet. I got to say, it's my favorite superhero show. Yeah, right now, like me yeah. too. It quickly yeah. has become, and when Friday comes, I'm just like, oh, I mean, yeah. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I know it's coming, but for, for me personally, at the end yep. of the day, I'm just like kicking back and I'm like, all right, invincible time. Yeah. Same. So, uh, yeah. All right. Moving right along. Uh, that got awkward because uh, now we got to talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, Rob, I think we got to take a break and pay some bills first. So we're going to reorder things a little bit. We're going to talk. We're going to take a break, come back, and then we are going to talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and some other news, plus a lot of the wrestling WWE NXT recap. So stay tuned for all of that. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. 
That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. thank logan moore for coming on and helping us out with that robert kirkman interview of course yeah we're gonna have to get you back uh for a longer episode so you can actually you know get in here to do it we got a packed show today though sorry yeah we'll get i'll, I'll keep back on him once uh the invincible fighting game's coming out or something we- yeah <laughs> yeah you, you definitely definitely do victory laps on the show so we'll definitely have you on for that thanks man cool thanks guys all right, now we have a new co-host joining us because he's going to help us talk about wrestling and so much more. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Connor Casey. Yay! It's your boy. From his bunker. <laughs> From the bunker. Hey, what's going on? How's it going, guys? Love the Kirkman interview. Thank you, yes. man. Yeah, we try to do big things on this. So uh, we're going to get to wrestling uh, in a bit. We got a couple little things to talk about uh, just in the news. Then we're going to talk a little bit about a comic. Uh have you guys seen the new Army of Dead trailer? Army of the Dead trailer, mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's new oh, film yes. coming Absolutely. to Netflix. Uh, we're just gonna go around and kind of. There's been a lot of, you know, I don't want to say secrecy. We knew what this movie was about, but uh, we haven't seen anything like it. I don't know if it was because he had to finish Justice League and do all that before they could start promoting that. But uh, trailer finally came out. Would it? Let's just go around real quick, see what you guys thought about it. Um, I mean, I'm going to be there. You know me. I don't have to sell myself on Snyder <laughs> movies. So, you know, I'm going to watch it. But uh, what did the rest of you guys think? Janelle, as a Walking Dead expert, how did you feel about this? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, very excited. It was really nice to see um, Zack Snyder again. I just I feel like we're getting that Zack Snyder itch scratched. Is that weird to say? I don't know. Very excited to see him back to have like something else to kind of tune into and see his style a bit more playful, obviously, than uh, his Justice League cut that just came out. Um, lots of really funny moments. And if you guys haven't seen it, I hope this isn't too much. I mean, it was in the trailer. It's a spoiler. But these walkers, a.k.a. zombies, are next level. Uh, they've got some crazy stuff going on that I've always thought of. Like, I would love to see kind of an evolved zombie walker capable of communicating with one another in some way banding together and becoming like the ultimate scary villains showdown so um it felt like they gave us a lot of information in a short amount of time we get the backstory of our main character we get the entire storyline of like why they are doing what they're doing and then we get to see how scary these zombies are so i really cannot complain and i'm pumped about this yeah for sure i mean I, I, i will jump in i mean i uh I like, I wouldn't say the zombie genre is like, you know, I'm kind of hit and miss with it. I love some parts of it and I I don't love others, but I loved this because it's all the best parts of Snyder, which is his movies are gorgeous. Uh, The action looks crazy, looks awesome. And, uh, but it's fun. It's the, you know, over the top fun. People are making, you know, little witty comments here and there. And it's just the action. It's just, 
in your face and that stuff i love i mean that's kind of part of why i like you know sucker punch and even like parts of watchmen are like more lighthearted. you know so like i i love that so this was like right up my alley like i'll watch this i didn't really have a ton of interest before seeing the trailer um and plus i'll probably watch batista and almost anything but like i it's it was good i dug it i dug it a lot let's see connor you have any thoughts uh, I, I've I've made my issues with Snyder Superman uh, well known on this show, but his action is always fun, and it's got Big Dave, so I'm definitely gonna watch it. For that. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was distracted here because uh, this new F9 trailer dropped while we were doing our thing, and uh, yeah, so I'm just checking this out real quick because somebody in the comments asked us to look at it. So my real time reaction is, yeah, this is a Fast and Furious movie, and uh, it's pretty much <laughs> Fast and Furious. I have movie. not Another watched one? it. Yeah, so we will have to talk about this next time. Oh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about it. It's pretty cool. It's pretty funny. There's a lot of kind of gags. Like, is someone riding a torpedo? Um, I haven't gotten to that part yet, but, I I mean, you you say that, and I can't ever see it. So let's see with the big finale. There's a big truck flip that's like Dark Knight, hold my beer. Yeah, there's a big military truck flip. The car apparently going off the cliff is not the biggest selling point right no, now. That's, that's just small gosh, potatoes. That's yeah, nothing to Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah yeah oh they do at the end they reveal the space thing yeah okay. fast and furious is going into space yeah it is we heard this or at least low orbit with a car that is has a you know space rockets yeah it does with ludicrous so and, Ty- and tyrese pi- piloting it so uh there you go i love these stupid movies <laughs> I mean, I me too. Them. I love them, and I am so in. How are you going to love this more than the Justice League Zack Snyder cut? Uh, because on. one does not take itself seriously <laughs> in the least, and one takes itself super seriously Thankfully, and doesn't know when to yeah. <laughs> That's why. I love it's go- a car going to space. If you take that seriously, then you've lost the whole point. Yeah, so F9 <laughs> trailer is also out. Check that out. Comicbook.com, movies. Um, yeah, that's a trip right there. Um Real quick, we're also just going to get around to uh, Falcon and Winter Soldiers coming up. Last two episodes. Who do you guys have as the power broker? Let's hear your theories real quick. I'm grading up right now that Kingpin, Vincent D'Onofrio, could be the power broker, which is my favorite theory so far. Uh, It would would give me that hope. It would make a lot of sense. We've been told there's a big actor coming to cameo. Now I know, guys. A I know. Jedi level. We've cameo? been told this before, and if there's like a second Winter Soldier uh, clone, I'll be pissed. But like, I I mean, I don't think they're Wanda visioning us on this one. I think there is going to be a big appearance because we do have a big mystery villain that's been in the center of all this. Um, I like the Kingpin theory because Vincent D'Onofrio is somebody that fans have wanted to keep this role. Uh, it would be easy to import into the MCU. It fits with a lot of Kingpin storylines of past and present. Uh, Kingpin is now even running his own team of Thunderbolts, which would be awesome to see in the yeah. MCU, that version. Because uh, we read that comic at Comic Book Nation, and we told you guys how good that was during King in Black, the whole yeah. uh, Kingpin's Thunderbolts run. And uh, there needs to be, remember, we've been talking about the MCU having these three different lanes for Phase 4, the cosmic stuff. Uh, the reality stuff, and which may not even be a thing. I don't even know yet. Um, and the kind of organized crime espionage underworld that is running after the blip. And Kingpin would be a key character for not just being the power broker and doing all of that, but also kind of connecting back to something like Shang-Chi and the Mandarin and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, anything that's going on with Hawkeye and, and that whole thing. 
uh, and kind of Kingpin kind of trying to sponsor his own, you know, supervillains to rival superheroes would be, would be pretty cool way to bring him into the MCU. And uh, yeah, he has connections all over the world. We know he's been to Asian countries and spent a lot of, a lot of time there. So Madripoor, all that stuff would make sense. Um, I'm, I'm hoping for Kingpin who y'all got with your lesser theories. You just <laughs> sold me on Kingpin. That's I can't true. even like follow wow. that. I, I, I can't even imagine anybody else now. <laughs> it's like, Kingpin or bust, <laughs> Matt. Do you have any ideas? Um, so I am not. I am not doing what what we did for Wandavision. I'm not going <laughs> down Reddit holes. I'm not doing any of that because they fool me every time, and it's never that. Now, if it's Kingpin, that would be great. Let's put that out there. Vincent D'Onofrio is fantastic as the character, or whatever. But I'm not getting my hopes up for that. So, uh, I like. I mean, if I had to say, like some of the things I've seen about like Sharon Carter, actually secretly being the broker and like, you know, Hey, I said I wasn't, but heck, Hey, I am like, you know, that kind of thing. That's interesting. Um, I don't have any like firm theories, but, uh, but I do like the Kingpin thing. I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying I like it. Connor, you usually have no, no kind of stomach for this nonsense. How do you feel? (laughs) Well, I I think the, the Sharon doesn't make the Shannon Sharon theory doesn't make a lot of sense because you've seen what she's done so far in the series and she would be sabotaging herself over and over if she were helping, uh, you know, Bucky and Falcon out as much as they, she already has. Um, I'm going to go with Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, It's one of the few twists that would kind of make sense. Like my jaw would be on the floor if it were Kingpin, I would absolutely love that. But if we're talking, you know, characters that we already know are in this world and somebody who, if you brought him in, that would mean that the Thunderbolts are probably coming, bringing in General Ross makes a lot of sense. That's true. Yeah. Commenters are also saying Electra L.O.D. Jung uh, could be back as Electra because she became the leader of the Hand and uh, oh. the Hand could be. Didn't she die defender. in a Defenders, though? No, she became no, the she leader died. of the hands. Yeah, oh, Alex, yeah. I, yeah. I thought the it could be Sigourney Weaver's character back, but she yeah. died in the Defenders. And, and that show was bad, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, and then Elektra took oh, over, I and I don't think Elektra died in Daredevil Season 3, so yeah, she's still out there, and the hand could still be out there, and they could be um, at the center of all this, too. I do uh, love Madame Gao, by the way. Madame Gao? Oh, wow. I do love oh, that. Yeah, Madame Gao was the best. So I do yeah. love that. So uh, highlight, yeah, <laughs> the comment there pointing that out. She just comes limping in at, at, at the end. I would, I would lose it, too. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, and the ladies have been getting some standout meme moments in Falcon and Winter Soldier, so why not? Let's keep it going. All right. Well, then we're going to find out this week in uh, Phase Zero Podcast. I'm sure we'll be all over this on Friday when it comes out. Power Broker will be mysterious. What he said. That's you guys are best. Uh, <laughs> just surprised nobody Jake dropped Gyllenhaal. the best, though. Yeah, I'm not Mysterio, nobody, uh, just Jake Gyllenhaal. Like Jake Gyllenhaal reacting to Sean Paul lyrics. That's what it needs to be. Sean yeah. Paul. Oh, that's great. (laughs) All right. Moving right along from this nonsense to more nonsense. Matt, let's touch on comics before we get into wrestling. Uh, We just got one comic to really focus on this week, correct? Yep. So uh, we have Batman, the detective number one, which is from, uh, I will say, uh, one of my favorites. I know I'm pretty sure Connor, one of Connor's favorites too, Tom Taylor uh, and Andy Kubert. So this is a kind of like out of continuity tale. Very, Very much reminded me, by the way, spoilers coming in for this. Um, it very much reminded me of kind of what we wanted All-Star. Does anyone else remember All-Star Batman and Robin? From oh, Miller? God, okay. God. Why would you bring that up? Because, <laughs> because when I was reading this, I went, 
oh man, this is what I wanted that to be. <laughs> this is what I kind of wanted, like a grizzled, you know, older Batman. He's kind of, you know, he's on this like European adventure and, yeah. and he's, you know, there's a lot of that kind of meta stuff of like, man, I'm older. Like he, he's recounting like his ribs breaking and things like that. And I'm not as fast as I used to be. It's that kind of story. It's kind of out of continuity, but it's really interesting. I, mean, I actually really dug in. I also like that it's kind of exploring, you know, Europe. It takes him out of Gotham. It takes him out of even the United States and really puts him with like Knight and Squire and some interesting characters that always kind of pop up every now and then. But I, I like this. Uh, also, I will say I, I missed Andy Kubert art. I, I have a soft spot for, for Andy's art and it, it looks really good here. There's a couple of weird, there's a couple of pages where I'm like, that looks kind of odd. But overall, <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's, it's cool. It's cool. So that's kind of the idea here. Um, you know, I dug it, though, because I was looking at it. I was like, oh, man, there's no crazy curses. Batman's not cursing his his <laughs> his Robin. He's not being perfect, this perfect awful man. person. Uh, yeah, it was it was cool. So that's how I look at it. Uh, what did you guys think? Um, I, I mean, as a nineties comic book kid, I was, I didn't look at it cause I had to read it in the middle of the night, uh, while I was waiting for my kid to fall asleep. And so I just kind of scrolled past the cover and I started reading it. I was like, man, this feels so familiar. And when I went back to the cover and saw Andy Kubert, I was like, oh, it's Andy, right? Not Adam. Yeah. It's Andy. Yeah. It's Andy. Okay. Yeah. That is. And if you were a nineties kid, you know, you know, not to create Kubert brother rivalries, but, uh, yeah, Andy was, uh, I mean, he was the goat back then when he, whenever he drew stuff. So yeah, it was it was nice to see him on Batman, and it was a good feel. And like you, I it's good that I now know. I didn't know it was out of continuity, but I was just taking it as like an Elseworlds or whatever. But it, it is good to see it, and it is kind of this kind of grizzled, more noir Batman. And, and I like that it lives up to its title in that it is clearly going to be more of a detective case than a superhero hijinks case. Right. Um, so that was – and we have – because we also got this week joker number two which is along the same lines of being kind of a detective story but much more of a comic booky detective story yeah than this was and so i think i made it clear during future state that i like dark detective and this kind of new low rent batman type deal that you can kind of do and i like getting into the investigative stuff so uh this was cool for me that's cool janelle yeah, I mean, it's it's. you've said this to me a few times. If, uh, if the first issue can kind of pull you in and make you want to keep reading the series, then it's doing its job. And that's what it did for me. I liked the artwork. I enjoyed um, his narration. I, at times I was like, okay, this, I get it. Like you're you're, you're cracking a rib. Like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it interesting. Yeah. It's a different style that I'm, I'm kind of starting to get used to, but also it's not too wordy. So it's an easy read. If you know, it's, it's not too long or drawn out. I feel like the pacing is really nice. And yeah, I, I thought it was good. I'm actually really excited to read uh, the rest of the series and see where it's going. Uh, Connor, did you get a chance to read this or not? I know we've been crazy. I haven't had, but uh, I'll read anything Tom Taylor writes. So understand, I'm right there. There's a there's a one. My favorite actual uh, sequence in the book is between Knight and him, and they're in the hospital, and she's like, so, and he's talking about he met Squire ahead of that, and she's like, did you? You know, like I, I can't remember how she says it, but like, did you impress her or did you like blow her socks off or whatever? And he was like, you know, what are you talking about? And she's like, come on. And he's like, I punched the ghost. And it was that smirk. <laughs> and it was yeah. like that. I love that Batman. He knows like, he's cool. Yeah. Just a little, just a little of it. Not so much. Well, Batman's like, like Wu-Tang. He does it for the children. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a great man. That's an awesome. Reference. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's why I, took, I I will say uh, Kofi mentioned Joker too. I I also read that. And also, there's a lot in that book. By the way, that they reveal there's a, like a lot of stuff in there. If you're if you're not reading that, and you're kind of reading the other bad books. Like that is when you actually really should be reading because there's some big you know, uh, developments in kind of the Bat family that happened in that book. But I also really like that too. I like that they're staying on the Gordon thing. Like we're not veering veering back to like just making it a Batman Joker book. It's still really about Gordon. So that, yeah. I really took like that. No, Joker, um, Joker's good. Yeah, Joker. Also, good. quick shout out because I would be remiss if I did not say that Dark Hawk, Heart of the Hawk, 30th anniversary, one shot of this character. Here's the thing. You don't really need to read the whole book. <laughs> the second story, there's three stories. First story, you can really skip. Second story is is fun if you're a Dark Hawk fan. But the third story is from Kyle Higgins and launches, it sets the table for the next series that is coming because there is a Dark Hawk ongoing series or at least a mini series coming later this year. So if you are interested in what's to come, I thought that was really interesting. It's just a couple of pages. It's the shortest thing in the book, but that is worth checking out. Uh, also, quick tease here before we move on to wrestling related stuff. Uh, on the audio version of this podcast, you can hear uh, my conversation with Captain Marvel, Black Widow, uh, writer and uh, Deadpool writer, one of my favorite runs of Deadpool, uh, Kelly Thompson will be on here. So we have a whole long talk. We talk about, yes, we do talk about all the Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange romance stuff that definitely gets addressed. Uh, we talk about all that stuff and we have a long conversation. So make sure to stick around if you're listening to the audio show. Hey, Comic Book Nation fans, this is Matt Aguilar, and I have the pleasure of speaking to Captain Marvel, Black Widow, and Deadpool writer Kelly Thompson today. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. How are you guys? Good, good. Thank you so much for taking the time out, and uh, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I uh, I hope my cat going to be quiet here and not also be on the show, but we'll see. <laughs> like um, to make everything about himself, even uh, Marvel Comics, so... <laughs> understand understand well i i have to start out by uh by admitting something uh people who have ever followed me on twitter know i'm a huge cat marvel fan a uh, huge fan of the boss of space so of course we're gonna talk about that first because dang it it's my interview so we're gonna do it <laughs> um, not in control here then where right <laughs> for real yeah they don't let me do this very often so i gotta take advantage um so the last issue of Captain Marvel definitely got some discussion going. I feel like that's safe to say. Um, you know, of course, for people uh, who don't know, uh, you know, there was a reveal that, um, you know, Carol Danvers and Doc Strange, you know, kind of uh, had some fun and, you know, kind of she's kind of dealing with a breakup and things like that, of course. And so uh, this started a bunch of discussion. You know, did you expect that kind of reaction when you you know, we're, we're crafting that. Did you kind of expect that there would be some kind of reaction when that hit? Um, I, I definitely knew there would be some reaction. You know, the problem is it's like, you know, a huge part of my job is to do things that get people talking about stories and get people to pick an issue up or talk about it or, you know, stir up some whatever. But you know, I'm just trying to tell good stories here. And, you know, part of the challenge in that sometimes is that, you know, fans aren't a hive mind. So for every person that was mad about it, uh, of her hooking up with Dr. Strange, like, oh, it's disrespectful to Rhodey, or I want it with Rhodey. There were other people who were intrigued by 
Strange's and Carol's chemistry together. So, you know, it's a little tricky. I knew it would be, it would be sort of upsetting um, the status quo. And I was excited about that because that creates new story opportunities. But, you know, comics is a really hard thing because they get read in these tiny pieces and in fairness to the readers, they're, you know, they get sort of ingested and commented on in individual pieces rather than a huge arc. And so, you know, it's just, it's tricky. Like you just want to tell people, well, it's just part of a story. Like, let's see the whole thing out before we decide if we love it or we hate it. But, you know, it's just part of the game, part of the game. Uh, The thing that was most crazy to me was I didn't really expect to like the pairing so much necessarily, but, you know, David Lopez is so damn talented that he sort of made me ship it by the end, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh no. I was like, oh, oh no, I like it too. What am I gonna do here? So well, you know, and that kind of um it's it's weird because yeah, I agree. And and there's also I feel like uh Carla over on Spider Woman is always like reveling in that like disruption <laughs> <laughs> of just like with an evil grin, just like I will cause everyone to to riot. Um but you know it's like there seem to be a lot of people upset about Carol and Rhodey specifically that they aren't together anymore. At least like comics is always, you know, silical and things change all the time. So like for now, right. Everything is for now, but I've always felt that, you know, the Rhodey relationship was something that was, was additive to Mm -hmm. Carol, but Carol's like delightfully never been someone defined, at least not since her very, very early days by who she is romantically linked to, or am I reading that wrong? No, I think that's really important. I think that, you know, Carol Danvers is a, a badass superhero and a pilot. And, you know, she's also a woman who has relationships, but a romantic relationship should never be the sort of defining thing of her book. But I'm with you. It's great when it's additive. I, I've always really liked Carol and Rhodey together. I think they're sort of a they're sort of a stealth match. Like you don't think about it a lot, but you know, the kind of things they've been dealt with their military background, like there's a lot of common ground there for him that not only is, is helpful to both of them in a relationship the way I think it is to any real world relationship, but it's stuff that, you know, Carol has a lot in common with a lot of superheroes just by nature of being a superhero, but not a lot of those people have military backgrounds. It's like a big thing Mm -hmm. that's, not common and that would I think be really helpful in a relationship like you tend to think about things in a similar way like you know you've been trained in similar ways to sort of process information and threats that way and I think that that especially is a huge thing between her and Rhodey that makes him a great match but I also think he's just like an incredible character and he's been very good at you know not every character can sort of let their lady be someone so powerful that, you know, you can fly into the sun. Like that's a real power imbalance for someone like Brody, who is an incredibly talented guy, but is basically just a guy wearing a powerful suit, you know? So uh, it's, 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 there's an imbalance of power there that I don't think is a bad thing, but I do think it's something that, you know, in order to, give Rhodey a larger role or give their relationship a larger role in the story. Like some things actually have to happen from a plot perspective. Otherwise he's just going to sort of be sitting there in neutral in the supportive boyfriend, occasional backup character, you know, and I wanted to play with that a little bit and see what happens when we, 
push on them a little bit and pull them apart. And are they able to get back together? Like, should they, you know, all of that stuff is really fun. And, um, you know, I guess I think readers get sort of traumatized when bad things happen in stories and they, and so they, they get their defenses up really fast. And, um, you know, I can't really do anything about that. Um, you know, you hope they stick with it to see it out and you hope that you've built trust with them as a writer and that they'll trust you to like tell a good story and make good decisions. But, you know, I, I've been a traumatized reader too. I get it. Yeah, for sure. I, and, and I understand. Yeah, exactly. If you've been reading comics for long enough, like yeah, everybody yeah. has that story. Everybody yes. has, you know, those characters like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. I still, I, somewhere I'm still, there's some blog post about me railing against one more day. Like I get it. I understand. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to hate on it. Uh, you know, but it is interesting. And also like, I, I feel like the Doctor Strange, you know, pairing doesn't necessarily come out of completely left field because like there's been some great stories between those two characters like the you know there's the one where they swap bodies and like that whole thing of like her trying to do magic like there's some really interesting things between those two and so when this kind of happened I I I got excited because it was something different it's something fresh and and it doesn't necessarily negate what has come before um yeah there's also you know there's something that's really fun about writing them together that happens in both 27 and it also happens a lot in 28 which is totally different than the carol and roadie relationship which i try and write as much fun into that as i can but like they're characters that are simpatico they're not at loggerheads but strange and carol often are So, you know, you get that fun crackle of that opposites attract and you just get a completely different dynamic for them, uh, you know, for as long as you're playing with it. And that's fun. That doesn't mean she should be with Strange. She really shouldn't be. I think we all know that, including Carol and Strange, (laughs) but it doesn't mean it's not interesting. It doesn't mean it's not fun to play with. And yes, I was not planning way back when we did the body body swap arc, I was planning to get them together. And even after I did that arc and had a lot of fun with them, uh, I wasn't like, oh yeah, they should hook up later. But it must've been in the back of my mind somewhere because when I knew she and Rhodey were breaking up and I was considering going where we were that um, this strange thing just sort of happened. So it must've been sort of in the background of my mind. And then the magic connection, it all just sort of came together, you know? For sure, for sure. And okay, so if I, so I ask all those, of course, like, you know, heavy questions. And then this one's completely superfluous. So I apologize. Uh, (laughs) If Carol masters magic, does she become the boss of sorcery and will (laughs) Chewie get a new costume to go along? (laughs) There is no way on earth that Carol masters magic. I'm not even sure she learns any magic. That's, (laughs) that's a disaster for her. Like, you know, mastering magic takes, unless you're going to cheat, which is not a great way to go about learning magic it takes decades. Like she's not going to do that. She has neither the patience or the tolerance for that. That's just not who she is as a person. Um, I, I respect that she wants to address her weaknesses and that she's very afraid of this future she saw. And so she wants to be prepared for it. And I think that that is very Carol that she would address weaknesses. Like that's a very sort of military style, like, Oh, I have a gap in the wall right here. I got to fix that, you know, like she's very practical in that way. So I think her logic makes a lot of sense, but when literally everyone who knows magic is telling you this is a bad idea, like maybe you should <laughs> listen to those people, but Carol's not always good at listening to people. So it's 
going to be a bit of a bit of a bumpy ride. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, I'm just going to say it. This was all worth it. And I haven't, by the way, I come at this from like, I haven't read the issues or anything. I'm just saying it's all worth it for the costume because that costume is <laughs> yeah. so sick. It's so it's great. Good. It's um, great. You know, it's funny because when we started this arc, you know, or when we started this run, it was right a couple months before the movie. And so we were like, yeah, you know, we we're talking about the costume. We were like, you know, she's Carol Danvers. She's Captain Marvel. She's more visible than she's ever been. We should really just keep her in her classic costume. And then we ended up switching arcs around. And so she ended the first arc ended up being that apocalyptic arc where she's sort of Mad Max her costume. So now we're like, well, okay, at least she was in her costume in the first issue. We get this little strange arc and she's in the costume, but she's not actually in her body. That's a little weird. And then we get the falling star arc where she's in her regular costume. And then what do we do? We dark Avenger her that dark carol costume so we have had a million costumes which is not what we set out to do <laughs> but when you're with these incredibly talented artists like lee jarbet and um and i it's not carol's costume but carmen canero designed that incredible star costume and then now we've got this incredible marco chichetto magic costume like you just gotta go all right we're doing costume variants now this is what we do because <laughs> we're really good at it and it's it's exciting to see Carol in these different ways. And so it's been really fun. I mean, it's it's one of those things when you when you rattle off all of the artists that have been on the series, this series has been blessed with some just yeah. amazing uh, artists just back to back to back. And also really, you guys are just creating so many opportunities. I already saw uh, someone did uh, like did a mock up of like Brie Larson in this costume yeah and i saw that this week that was fun it's like oh man it's only a matter of time it's gonna yeah. pop up in the mc right and it's gonna look awesome and it's gonna be like that's gonna be so cool um yeah. you know and you mentioned before that the reason uh she's ex kind of wanting to rectify this weakness a little bit is because of this far future that she was in and and seeing all those things happen and, and that's also the you know kind of origin of the breakup in, in, a, in a big sense too and all of that comes from yeah. this far future um that is one of my uh favorite storylines just because you know once we got the end you know, it was, it was cool to see this, but, you know, kind of assumed it was a, a one and done. And then to really explore this world and, and see Carol interacting with all these people was, you know, was really interesting and allowed us to see a lot of uh, new character development uh, with her yeah. and, and some of these people. Um, number one, what did you enjoy most about crafting that world and its characters? And, you know, number two, would you ever be up for doing a series just based in that world? Will we ever see it again? I mean, I think the answer is I had a great time and yes. So I think, um, you know, first of all, huge shout out to Lee uh, Garbet because that was a really tough arc. So many characters, so many sort of big pieces moving around. As always on a really big arc like that, I sort of wish I'd had one more issue to, to, to give us a little more breathing room. But I'm really proud of what we were able to do because it was really ambitious. And thanks to Lee, I, th I think it mostly worked. You know, he did an incredible job of introducing some of those characters. You know, Bridget is the, the and Sora and Phantom X-5 were the only ones that were new for this arc that didn't previously appear in the, in the Captain Marvel, the end story. But, you know, he really helped flesh those guys out, even though we couldn't give them as much page time as we wanted. Um, but Bridget especially landed, you know, with a huge 
uh, a huge splash. People are very excited about She's that. She's amazing. Character. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. Um, so I would love to do something with those characters. I don't know that it's in the cards. Both, both my schedule is really crowded, but I don't really think that's the big issue. The big issue, it's hard to launch a book these days. And even though there's like a cult following that would love to follow these characters into a new book or even just a, you know, a little spin-off miniseries or something. You know, I don't know if it's in the cards. Like, you know, it's, it's hard enough to sell Captain Marvel. Um, you know, we're doing really well. We're on a really long run for Captain Marvel longer than she's ever gotten since she switched over to the Captain Marvel name, which is huge. We're so proud of that, but yeah, it takes a lot to spin out a book. I mean, these days, so I, I don't, To, you know, there was definitely a pocket, not a pitch, but a pocket way to bring some of those characters forward or backward in time rather. Um, but, you know, you get into a lot of problems with that. Like, you know, there's, you don't want, you know, it sort of ages some characters to have adult versions of their children or grandchildren running around. Like that can be an issue and too many, you know, as much as we all get excited about, um, future characters or past characters or alternate reality characters getting mixed in because it's really fun. I mean, listen, I created Dazzler Thor. Everybody knows I love this kind of thing, <laughs> but, but, you know, it can create a messy universe. You know, there's already sort of not enough to go around. So I, I think Marvel is a little careful about that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know. I'd love to write those characters again in some capacity, but I'm not sure what that would look like or if it'll be possible. We'll have to see. Unfortunately, I think also true is probably, the further away we get from that story, sort of the less possible it is, unless I can find, um, you know, a good way to bring that back in. But again, it's it's sort of the same problem you have with a rogues gallery, with building a good rogues gallery. I mean, that's been something I've been working really hard on for Carol because, you know, a lot of her characters that were really core to her rogues gallery, she's either totally outpaced them in power over time so they yeah. don't really make a lot of sense for her, like Deathbird. Like, that's a great grudge match. But are you telling me, as cool as Deathbird is and as badass as she is, are you telling me Captain Marvel can't just destroy her on site? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like there's a pretty big power discrepancy there at this point. And other characters like Mystique, who was a great rogue for Carol back then, you know, she's really mixed up in the X-Men stuff right now in really, I hope, really interesting ways, like the stuff with the her partner and everything. So, you know, you lose those characters and you want to make sure you're building up sort of Carol Carol rogues and like really building her, her a little sort of Batman rogues gallery. And we've worked really hard on that. Um, but the trick is, you know, it's, it's easier to do that when you're getting a longer run because then people aren't starting over all the time. But at the same time, you know, we just got out that right away. You know, you like you need time between these things before you return. And that's why you really need a long run in order to correctly build that rogues gallery because you need breaks before you can bring someone back for revenge. So it's been a little tricky balancing act, but we're, we're doing pretty well, I think, on, on the whole. No, for sure. For sure. And, and definitely it, it's it's a problem of having a powerhouse character and always trying to kind of keep the level, keep the playing field a little, a little level. And, yeah, and it definitely. has to be believable. I mean, you know, <laughs> what someone who I think Carol has totally. Dr. Minerva, 
because Dr. Minerva is, you know, she's got access to tech and she's a scientist and she's super conniving is, you know, sort of part of her thing. So whether they're going to be allies or enemies, she's someone that, you know, she's a little more Batman-esque in that if you give her time and a plan, like, you know, she can maybe take Carol down, even though she can't meet her on this battlefield with the same power level, you know? So for sure, think about these things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, uh, because I'm sure I'll have uh, people yelling at me. So uh, I would love to talk Cat Marvel all day, uh, but <laughs> I'm going to move on to some other series. I can already see the comment. <laughs> I already know it's there. Um, you know, and we talk, it, it is hard to launch a book and it's hard to keep a book, you know, going. And, and um, you know, that's why it was kind of impressive that your Deadpool run was, you know, Deadpool's a character that's used a lot. Like, like at, at some point, at one point, it was kind of like Wolverine, like he was everywhere, you know, and, yeah. and so it's hard to keep that book fresh and, and make it feel yeah. interesting. That's why I really enjoyed uh, your run because of those specific things It brought in fresh characters and gave him a spin. And that's also why I was completely heartbroken that, <laughs> you know, the book kind of, you know, just stopped. Was Was that you know, like just something that was like, okay, this is a, a good place to end this. Is it on hiatus? Is there, you know, a point where you return to that series? What is kind of the state of that? No, I mean, it was definitely canceled. Like that was not what I wanted. We had really long ranging plans. We were very ambitious. I think, you know, we didn't start as strong out of the gate as we needed to in order to ensure a longer run. And it was made worse by some scheduling issues um, that hit us where one of our books was late, which early on can be really devastating for a run. Um, And then we just got completely boned by COVID, man. I mean, so our first four issues ended by March. That was our first arc. And so we were doing sort of not a reboot, but just sort of a reset. We weren't able to keep Chris on the book. Uh, long-term. And we, we knew that was probably likely going in, but so we were having sort of a turn. We were having two issues that were sort of standalone to like help draw people in like, okay, these can just be easy jump on points for people, even if they miss the first four issues. And so we were supposed to have a double ship in April of those two issues, which were the issue five is like the Kaiju issue. And then issue six was the Deadpool breaks into Krakoa issue. And they're two of my favorite issues in the run, to be honest. Um, I think uh, Gerardo Sandoval and Kevin Lebronda drew them and they're awesome. They're really fun. I think they really highlight what's great about Wade and what's great about him in that King of Monsters context. But, you know, they were both supposed to come out in April and then the world fell apart. Yeah. And I think one of them ended up coming out in June and one of them came out in August. And like, by then, like all the momentum had been lost. You know, we were already pretty deep into drawing. I'd already written all the uh, seven through nine, the bone beast stuff with Elsa. And so, you know, Marvel very generously let us sort of keep going and, and publish those and then let us sort of do a wrap up with 10. But yeah, I mean, I think there, there was probably, I think it was only Marvel's generosity that even let us go past six because I just think the schedule and then the changes just completely cut our legs out. Uh, such so, a bummer, but, but yeah, yeah understand. Yeah. I mean, that it, uh, some of those things are just out of control. Yeah. I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't do anything. It about was, that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely wish for a world in which, we'd had a fairer chance, but you know, we didn't hit the sales 
right out of the gate really well. So maybe it wouldn't have mattered. I, I think we could have gone a little longer or the conversation might've been a little different, but you know, I don't know that we ever would have gotten a, a longer run than 10 or 12, given where we sort of started. Um, I have had some success turning that kind of thing around, like being Captain Marvel while we started really, really strong issue five was one of our lowest sellers. And like the writing on the wall for that was not good, but we really turned it around with issue eight. We got a lot of heat on the series and, you know, here we are, I'm writing 31 right now. So it's crazy, but um, yeah, Deadpool just didn't have that chance. I, I hope that more people are going to find it on Marvel Unlimited and in trade because, you know, not that that'll change things for our fate, but um, I just, I think it's a really great story. I think that, you know, you're right that, Deadpool is incredibly hard to write because he's been in a million stories. It feels like every story has been told for him, but we really, we really dug deep to try and find a theme and an idea that I, I felt really worked for Wade, this question of what makes a monster and am I one and does that matter, you know, and, and telling that through quite literal metaphors of monsters. Um, I think it was a really good fit for him. I think it really, allowed him to do something different while also pushing him forward as a character instead of sort of, you know, when I inherited him, it was like, do I take him backward? Like, it's hard to walk a character back to what we've shown. He has all this heart. Other writers have shown this and pushed the character really forward in a great way and shown that even though his morals are very flexible and whatever, there's a core there that's quite heroic and good underneath this all, you know, and he's very tragic and, all that stuff is beautiful. And I want to see that in a Deadpool book, you know? Yes, definitely. And of course, more Jeff the Shark. Because yeah. Jeff the Shark is amazing. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> also, I will say, you know, the run did create a pop. There is a Funko pop of King Deadpool on yeah, the front. Yeah, for sure. Which is a great look. I mean, that's a great pop, actually. Um, some pops, I'm like, meh, whatever. But man, that's a great one. Yeah, really and so good. it'll forever immortalized. Um, yeah, Jeff would also make an adorable pop, in my opinion. Just, how has that not happened just yet? Putting it out there. <laughs> how has that not happened yet? I'm right? So yeah, right? I don't understand yeah. it. I mean, this year will be our year. <laughs> um, I know. Uh, I've got to. Uh, you know, we're we're coming up on time here, so thank you so much for for taking all the time to talk. I do want to talk a little Black Widow, uh, because that series uh, has really, to me anyway, has found the heart of that character in a way that some other iterations haven't been able to. Um, you know, how will the threads from that first very personal arc for Natasha, uh, you know, kind of factor into the new storyline and the new location? And what role does Yelena kind of play in all that? So we're definitely gonna be seeing the ripple effects, you know, in, in Nat's life um, from that really traumatic emotional start we had. Um, she's not gonna be able to just shake that off as much as she's trying. So we're gonna see that, but that will definitely be taking a backseat, you know, because we need to push her story forward. She's trying very hard to live this different life and to really like take San Francisco under her wing and like make it a beautiful home and be that hero that the city needs. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful thing that she's trying this instead of let's hunt down these people that did me wrong. I think she's had a hard emotional reset uh, due to the events of our first book. And I hope people, you know, I know it doesn't hit for everyone, but I hope it hit for enough people that they'll continue following us. 
but yeah, that will be the trauma stuff will be sort of a back burner thing of her sort of dealing with it in the small ways in which it encroaches in her daily life. The day-to-day big stuff is going to be being a superhero and, and what she's doing in San Francisco. Uh, Yelena is there. I mean, I think the, the pretense for Yelena is, you know, I need something to do and this seems cool. And so I'll do this with you, but she's a hundred percent there. I mean, she would never say it and Natasha would never say it, but she's a hundred percent there because she knows Natasha needs someone. She doesn't want Natasha to be alone right now, you know, and they're Russian enough that they're maybe never going to talk about it, you know, the way we'd sort of like them to, but her just being there speaks volumes, you know? Yeah. uh, I don't see Yelena and Natasha doing a red table talk any, anytime soon. Um, That's not going to happen. Uh, I will say, uh, and I feel like this is the perfect way to end things. Uh, I almost lost my mind when I heard that Aranya was popping up in issue seven, which I'm very excited. Uh, That character has been kind of MIA for a bit. Um, Can you tease a bit about her role in the story, of course, without, you know, going into crazy territory? Yeah, she's going to be doing some undercover stuff with... um, with all of them, but specifically she's brought in by Nat and we get to see sort of how she gets brought in via a little flashback. That was really fun. I think she adds an interesting power set. It's a, it's an idea that was floated years ago in Kelly Sue DeConnick and Warren Ellis's uh, Avengers assemble. Uh, Anya teams up with, she, she basically comes to the Avengers for help. And in the first part of that story, she ends up paired up with Black Widow and Spider Woman. And she makes this joke about them being team Spider Lady because they all have a spider theme. <laughs> and I always thought that is a great book. That should be a book. So, um, you know, it may be a joke, but I love to pick up on a throwaway joke from years, years ago. So, yeah, we um, <laughs> we we brought her in, and honestly, it, you know, it was really it was really great too because while there's a really fun d- dynamic between uh, Nat and Yelena, like they have a push and a pull that is quite funny to me and and enjoyable and a little bit light, which is good in a book like this. We could really use there's some serious stuff going on, and so the levity of Anya, who I find to be a very like high energy, bright, funny character. Uh, man, she just she just slotted right in. It's great. She's a great counter to some of the darker stuff going on there, and I love it. Oh, that's so cool. Now, um, is that a is it kind of like a one and done? Is it? Will she kind of be popping up throughout the series? She's definitely in through from. She shows up first in seven, so she's in it from seven through ten. Oh, awesome! And I would like to keep her as part of the team. Uh, going forward so in theory it's 11 through 15 but we're still breaking those arcs so I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet team spider lady for life amazing yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome well I all the best success I wish you nothing but success and I can't wait to see what's coming next for you thank you so much for taking the time thanks so much for having me All right. Before we move on, I also want to mention um, Batman, the detective. What really got me is the premise of the conflict, which is that somebody is going around killing people that Batman has saved in in mass numbers in certain cases, um, which is a good mind screw for Batman. And uh, I really want to see how where that goes. All right. All right. Rasslin, I'm going to sit back. Connor, Matt, this was Connor's hands are probably like crippled with arthritis right now. 
from uh, typing all this stuff up because it was a busy week in wrestling, to say the least. Uh, but I would like to say this show had a hand in helping to crown some new champions and just want to let you know what happens if, if anybody out there appears on the show, especially he, the wrestling community. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> he was not wrong. He was not wrong. All right. Yes, Kofi, we did have WrestleMania weekend. It was basically an entire week of different wrestling shows. We get to the big show on Saturday. They managed to escape some serious rain delays from uh, the good old weather down in Tampa, Florida. Uh, you, you, they probably should have known what they were getting into on that front. But we were delivered two nights of action in front of a live crowd for the first time in 13 months was very missed. I, I loved that we actually had live fans back and they were able to react to things. And it wasn't just a wall of screens called the Thunderdome. Um, Matt, I wanted to start off by asking you, what were your favorite moments from both nights? Um, night one is uh, is easy. Uh, night one is Bianca and Sasha. Um, that, that to me is, and I, I will admit, by the way, uh, there's a moment that plays, and you probably, if you follow uh, some of them on Twitter, you've probably seen it. But before that match even starts, mm -hmm. Bianca's already tearing up a little bit, and oh, she yeah. looks at the crowd, and it's this emotional moment. Sasha looks out there, and it's just like everything about this, it's it's crazy. I haven't loved the build to this match no. a lot. Like, there's a lot of missing things here. However, none of that crap mattered. <laughs> <laughs> it was they delivered such a great match and they told such a great story in the ring that all of that faded away. And I, I saw the comment, like, do I think it's, um, you know, too soon? No, I thought they told a, a, a great story in the ring. This was the right move. Uh, it lets Sasha, you know, kind of keep going as a heel. She wants to. And there's new blood, I'm sure, coming soon. So, like, Bianca as the champ, I think, is the right move. And, you know, Sasha's going to be fine. Like, Sasha's going to have plenty of stuff to do. Um, but at this moment, like, there, I got a little, little teary-eyed. I ain't going to lie. Towards the end of this, like, seeing all that emotion and stuff was amazing. So that was clearly, for me, the, the match of night one. What was yours? Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to match you on that. I thought the main event was outstanding. I love the story that it's told. Um, I thought that night one in general – escaped the fact that this was a horribly built up show in many respects, especially the Sasha Bianca match, how most of it's surrounded around a guy named Reginald who didn't even appear on the show and is barely Sorry, mentioned okay. in the, uh, in the, in the hype package leading up to it. Um, night two, I think is where a lot of that bad storytelling caught up with them, especially with a few matches. We'll get to that. Uh, but no, you could tell they recognized that the moment was huge and then I love how the story, the simple story of the crafty villain uh, keeps trying to find ways to take down this powerhouse newcomer. And it eventually backfires on her with that spot with the hair mm. and then the finish. And I, it, it was all brilliant. But shout out to Bad Bunny for having True. probably the greatest celebrity match I've ever seen. And that Over is Pat? Over Pat. That, and that's a high bar. Yeah. But man, every that was all I could say at the end of that match was that was fun. You could tell he is just having an absolute blast in there when he hits the Canadian destroyer outside cool. the ring. Wait, time out, time out. Yes. Are you talking about Bad Bunny, the musical that, artist? Yes. That bad bunny, yes. You didn't know about this, Kofi. Even I knew about this. 
No, exactly. You, are, you can be smarter. You can be, again you can be smarter than me. Yes, you can know things that no, I don't. No, not know. smarter. Just, no, but I'm saying like bad buddies reach. Like it's yeah. it's crazy. Like that has been a common debate in the in the wrestling thing of like, well, why is he here? It's exactly because like everybody knows that name. <laughs> and he's That's, a huge star. And leading up to him right being now. on, people were dogging it. Like they yeah. are not, they are pissed. No, and now, loves, yeah, man, my man loves wrestling. He did that SNL. Uh, appearance with the belt yep, on his with the, yeah, yeah. With the 24-7 title, right? Oh, that's awesome. Now I'm you had my attention, <laughs> but now you have my interest. It was really fun. Ooh. Definitely. If you haven't, if you weren't watching, you know, watch the whole thing, but go back and watch that match, obviously, because it's it's pretty outstanding. But then we get to night two. There was some foolishness, Matthew, but what did you enjoy about the show? And I always make you laugh when I call you Matthew. Yeah, I know it always makes me laugh. Um, I well, okay, so um I'm gonna say uh, again the main event. I feel like that's a that's a plate. I feel I feel like I should pick a deeper cut. Right, <laughs> but right. like, no, but, but the main event was fantastic, and I know the ending is you know divisive. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I mean, you have three huge stars that all credit to SmackDown all had a legit like claim that they could have won and a storyline that they could have run with after that, but. No, man, it makes Roman look like the beast he's supposed to be. Like him pinning both. I know people hate that. I loved it. I love that shot. Like everything about that. That was a great match. They've had great encounters on SmackDown for the last few weeks. I saw that shot on Twitter and I had yeah. questions first. <laughs> what, what question? I was like, because I just saw the the image and I was like, what am I looking at here? Is this a site I'm supposed to be on? And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, no. He's packing bodies, yeah. 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 No, I thought it, it was great. It, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great... WWE is all about their visuals. Vince McMahon is very much like, a, what is the visual that this is all leading to? And the visual of Roman stacking his two unconscious opponents on top of each other and then pinning them both was the best possible visual you could ever come up with yeah. to make him look like a god tier level, you know, villain, the final boss for the company. They absolutely nailed that. I thought the match itself was fantastic. The the two main events we had this weekend, I would put them up against any that we've had in the last decade. Yeah. And it's up there. They were great. Um, the the Daniel Bryan Guy gets pushed in at the last minute, had some spots where I jumped out of my seat. And I'm in a box, so this is hard to do. <laughs> but when he just when he and Edge are both have Roman locked in a submission, and Brian just looks at him and just starts headbutting him, and then a little more, and then really hard. And you're like, oh my God. It was fantastic. The but, moment where they where they both are trying to with the with the like crowbar, the piece of the chair, and they're both trying to make Roman tap and it's just like, let go. No, you and like they're it. both on either side. It's flipping great. That's again, but, it is. It's a great visual. It's a great we, angle. Someone was like, get that on camera and yeah. you know, move with that. That was great. Yeah. So that was, uh, but we, we need to get to probably the biggest conversation that's coming out of the show. Other than raw, just being really bad is the last two WrestleManias were both two nights long. That is a first one because the pandemic had shut everything down. So they did it in front of empty arena this time they did it because it was the first time fans were back. So I'll ask you this, Matt. Should this be the standard going forward? Should it always be two nights? Should it be an entire WrestleMania weekend? As much as this is a pain in the rear for me, because we have to cover this. <laughs> two Your nights. load is considerable, yes. As, as opposed to one. Um, I love this. 
and I and I loved it last time, and I understand why they did it both times, right? Okay. If they go back to the one night format, that's fine. I'm not gonna hold like it's not like I'm saying like no, nah, they should, and how dare they? But I enjoy this. I I think it actually lends like even though night two was significantly less than night one, mm-hmm. you're able to cover. You're you're able one to give some matches more time, like Cesaro Rollins gets time because it's spread out over two nights if that's all in one night i feel like that match gets gypped because you're fitting in a ton of matches now granted there have been plenty of examples of wrestlemania is done on one night and they do it right and whatever i i'm not saying it can't be done but mm-hmm. what i'm saying is in wwe's current format and with the amount of talent that are on this roster and trying to get so many into the show i actually think two nights works better because you get if you book it right you get two great main events so you walk off with a great feeling from both. And then you give us some matches that wouldn't have their time, some extra breathing room. And I think that's actually good overall. So while it is a pain for me, I will say I actually like the two night format. Some fair points, but I've got three that go against it. Boom. Number one, in the last two years, I look at both cards and I can pick at least five matches between the two that I can consider filler, that had little to no story going into them, that did not need to be on the show. Some were added at the very last minutes. And if you had cut them, you would lose nothing. Number two, what was the first thing we did in our predictions? And what was the first story that came out the moment night two was over? Comparing night one to night two, we were immediately putting pitting the two against each other. So, all the good that night two included Cesaro Rollins, that main event, it's tarnished by the fact that that first hour was pretty awful. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And <laughs> so when everyone thinks of WrestleMania 37, they're not going to think of, wow, that, that Reigns uh, triple threat was great. They're going to think of, oh, night one was so much better than night two. Yeah. And it, it it unnecessarily pits two things against each other. So you just kind of feel bad for the night that did poorly even if you weren't involved in one of the bad matches true and and number three i see this argument now that you can only do this one of two ways you can either have a wrestlemania that is the length of two snyder cuts (laughs) 35 got pretty close to it we were were coming up on eight hours we were creeping up there or you split it over two nights and my thing is you really can have it where it's just one show and it's not a marathon to sit through. I will take you back to the one WrestleMania that everyone says is the gold standard. It's the best one. It's the one every other one is compared to. WrestleMania 17 from 2001. Just turned 20 years old. Four hours. A 30-minute main event. One of the best tag team matches of all time. And plenty of people from every spot of the roster made some sort of appearance. It can be done. Sure. You just got to do it. You just got to make it work. Now, two things. One, and then I know we got to get to NXT because, like, we got a lot of stuff to cover there. But number one, Sasha Banks is a standard. Thank you much. Not Mm. gold standard. You said gold standard. Mm. She's a standard. standard. She's blue. She is a standard. She's a blue standard. She's blue and green. (laughs) Number two, uh, I agree with you. Um, I will say, I will actually note there was a a comment here about uh, crowd fatigue, which is, which is real. Like, that's, 35 35 is a perfect example that's a good show pretty much start to finish it's just too bloody long it's too long now what i will say in the in response to the the way people's memories work i don't think two years from now 
anyone's talking about night two and night one. That's not how wrestling, especially wrestling fans. I will say that as a wrestling fan, when I think of WrestleManias and I think of things, I don't really think of them as like, I think of them as all one big event. I don't really say like even last year's WrestleMania, I don't think of split in cards and stuff. It's all what were the best matches of the night and those matches stick around in my brain. So I don't really think people's like memories. Some do obviously, but like most people are just going to go, what were the best matches of that night? What was the worst thing? And they're going to remember those things. And they're really not going to remember. It's all going to become one big night over time. So I don't think that is going to hurt in the long run. And my counter to that would be that there are some WrestleManias that have legitimately great matches on them, but they're labeled as forgettable because it was on a bad otherwise pay-per-view. WrestleMania 29, great CM Punk, Undertaker versus match. Nobody remembers it because the main event let him down. Sure. But Trace Busta Busta, I don't have anything. (laughs) I just wanted to say that. (laughs) All right, so we got to move over to NXT. There's a That's lot. There's a lot to take over. Uh, take over. Stand to deliver. Uh, also had a two night event. Um, and so for you, Connor, I will put the same question. What was the night one? What was the match of the night for you? I feel like I know. <laughs> it's Walter was night one, correct? Yes. Oh my God, Walter <laughs> is the perfect wrestler. He is so much fun. Every match he is in is amazing. He took his hand and chopped a table in half. That's how big his chops are. He wins every single match in a different way. He is just an absolute powerhouse, and every time he's on screen, I have to be watching. He is so much fun. I have no idea if they are ever going to use him on the main roster. I, My hands are up on the air on that guess. Please no. But every time he is, <laughs> it's fantastic. I know exactly where they're going with him next, and I cannot wait. I... It's so hard not to agree with you, because that match was phenomenal, and that is the best... That Tommaso has looked like just because he was just into it. You know what I mean? It's not anything. I mean, he's a great wrestler. So he's been doing great stuff with the things he's been doing. But like he was in on that. You know what I mean? It felt like he was just in that sweet zone. And he just, mm-hmm. they, they both killed that. Uh, I am bummed that Walter is going to move over back to over to UK for a little bit. But, you know, Triple H has even said, like, we hope to get him back yeah. over here soon. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I will say for me, it was, it was EO and Raquel. But more so, not necessarily because the match was better than Walter and Tommaso, but the fact that, like, I was so, and and anyone who who was in our chat during wrestling coverage knows this already, I was very much like, I'm ready for that era to start. I was kind of ready for that new page because EO's been great, but I haven't been in love with with her reign as champion. So I was kind of ready for that. I've been very much like, Raquel's getting better and better, and she's ready at this point. I was ready for that to happen. So the fact that it happened, it was a great match. I really enjoyed it. But I will say, like, I think that part of it was what sold it to me the most, especially since this yesterday's NXT, we get the sweet, sweet moment of all three, like Rhea, uh, Bianca, and Raquel, like being on NXT. They all, of course, were in NXT, and now they're all champions. The and new wave together. of champions, yeah. So good. Oh, Fantastic so good. I lost my, lost my mind. Um, so that was for me. What about night two? Night two, um, I'm going to go with Carry On versus Finn. Um, the, the main event's good, and if you like that style of just car crash match, it's fine, but the problem is it's 40 minutes. Yeah, it's a long one. And you could have cut out 10. Um, but I, I love the story that Balor and Cross told because you thought 
that Cross was just going to steamroll him. You know, he, he said it on, here on the on the show. He might have well just decapitated him. That didn't happen. Finn came out and got in a ton of offense because he figured out, hey, what's the fast way to slow this guy down? Kick him in the liver. That works. <laughs> and it did. Yeah, that works. It's very effective. It's it, incredibly it, effective. It was. And you 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 thought for a good chunk of that match, hey, Finn might retain here and we might just see Cross on Raw come Monday. Like it, it was possible. Um, but then Cross just kind of kicks it into a new gear and knocks the poor guy out. And I, I dug it. And it, it made Finn look strong. It made him look better than Keith did coming out of Cross's last title win last summer. Yeah. Which I think that, is important. That's because true. I think I know where Finn's going next. And it was a match that was promised to us last year. And it's going to be a match of the year contender if it happens. And it is Finn versus Walter, probably yes. in Ireland. Yeah. It would be awesome. Which would be amazing. Yeah, that pandemic kind of postponed that. No one could travel. But that was what was being set up. We already had promos. And then it had to get delayed. But I will say it actually all worked out for the best. I agree. I thought this story, that was my also my favorite match of the night. Just because, again, it was the storytelling. It was fantastic. It was all the smirks on Finn's face. And how every time he smiled, Cross would get so annoyed. And it was that constant thing of like, I, I I can figure you out because like Finn's a great wrestler, right? Oh, I will say it helped that like even on here uh, when Cross was here on Comic Nation and also like in the pre-press conference and things, he talks about Finn so like respectively. Like, he, like he's very respectful of Finn. He's very much like he's a great wrestler. He's the best NXT champ. But like I still feel like I can beat him. It was the way he was talking about him as opposed to like, he's nothing. He's whatever. It's kind of, I like that cross like acknowledges reality and then takes that and like, does they go off to the races with all their supernatural stuff? I like that. Right. Um, so yeah. So for me, I agree. I think Walter Finn for, uh, I think Finn Walter is next. Uh, I will say, uh, I feel like NXT, the, here were two things I want to say for the entire weekend as a whole. And this week, cause it kind of includes this week. One Bailey was freaking robbed. Yes. I cannot believe that we got through the entire WrestleMania weekend and Bailey did not have a match. Those oh, she got slapped because she brought up John Cena Weren't by the freaking Bella Twins. Weren't you entertained? No, no. I wasn't. I was so mad. Yeah. <laughs> Bailey has been arguably the like MVP of 2020 of the, the women's division uh, on SmackDown and Raw, like just period. And like for th- for her to not for her to just get a, a couple of little segments. Like, they were fine. Like, the NWO one was funny. But, like, come on. No. She needed a match. I don't even care if you just slap her together with whoever. They would – she deserved a match. So that was robbery. Number two, I will agree with Connor. The Way has been really entertaining on NXT. And there was an eight-man tag match last night. It was a mixed match. And it was so fun. It was the same thing as, like, I, Bad Bunny vibes. It was just fun. Ridiculous. Mm. They did crazy spots, and they just had fun with it. And it needs more. I want to see more of that in NXT. My last comment is, Logan Paul took a stunner, and I've watched that on loop at least one time. <laughs> yeah, we had Logan Paul and Bad Bunny on WrestleMania. Oh, my God. And what happened to Logan Paul? He got hurt? No, he just got he, he got stunned. He got, he got taken out. Got a yeah. Nice stone cold stunner for his troubles. That's First singer, now this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's wrestling. All right. That'll do it for that. If you are listening to the audio of this show, please stick around. Matt sits down with Kelly Thompson to talk a whole bunch of comic book goodness. So be sure to listen to that on the audio version of this podcast. 
for all our people in the live video feed. That'll do it for this show. Uh, we just want to do some quick mentions before we get out of here. Uh, I want to just uh, shout out. I told you at the beginning of the show when we talked to Robert Kirkman, which you can rewind and see that interview. It's at the very beginning of the show uh, that we also there's some things on Amazon you should check out. Invincible is definitely one of them. The other one is them. Uh, the new horror kind of anthology series that is kind of in the vein of Jordan Peele's Get Out. It's about kind of um, a black family who moves into Compton, California, back in the 1950s when it was very much still an all-white neighborhood. And it's about their house is also haunted, but it's about the horrors of racism and you know supernatural stuff kind of colliding. And it's, it's uh, Leah Waite. I forget how to – I always mess up her name. But, um, yeah, it, it's – Probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to watch. I mean, it is scary on a different kind of level because there is a lot of history baked into this. And yeah, it's it's a hard, upsetting watch. But uh, yeah, it was really good. And, and if you, depending on what the nature of your definition of horror is, it is a very strong horror offering. So them on Amazon Prime, along with Invincible, I think you guys should check out. For sure. Uh, I've got just a quick mention here. Uh, Power Rangers Dino Fury is the newest season of Power Rangers. I'm always going to rep Power Rangers on the show. However, I think it's actually, <laughs> it is slowly becoming, actually not even slowly, it's quickly becoming, we're like six episodes in, it's quickly becoming my favorite Power Rangers season in a long time. It's fun. The cast is awesome. They're referencing things like of like Ranger lore from like way back and it's got the dinosaur theme so it has all the nostalgia hits. It's really fun. So, uh, you know, I'm starting Ember out very early in the Power Rangers world. She's already watching episodes with me every Saturday morning. So I definitely recommend. Also, stick around uh, on comicbook.com later today and throughout the week. We will have a look at the new Moon Knight series coming from Jed McKay. And then we will also have some looks at Marvel United X-Men, uh, the new board game coming from Simon and Spin Master Games. So check it out. Honor, you just wrote something in you wanted to plug? Yes, I just realized I'm wearing a Ted Lasso shirt. So if you're not watching Ted Lasso, bring some joy to your life and watch one of the best comedies. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, it's we done, so great. Yeah, we done plugged Ted, Ted Lasso a couple weeks ago here because uh, we all kind of got into it. Um, yeah, but it's still good. So, yeah, definitely. I watched watch Thunder Lasso. Force. Did anybody watch Thunder Force? I haven't yet. I want to, but I haven't. It's yet. cute. I, it's, it's cute. You can watch it with your kids, and it's, it's just a fun, it's a fun movie. All right, there you have it. Okay, so that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we go live every Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook. If you miss anything from the episode, it'll be right on any one of those platforms as soon as we are done. So if you missed the Kirkman interview, you can just uh, wait a minute or so, and then you can go back to our YouTube feed or this Twitch feed or the uh, Facebook feed and, and see it all for yourself. We are also on your favorite podcast platforms we're on apple podcast spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, all the big ones and you can tell any smart home device to play comic book nation podcast and it'll just fire up for you if you guys like the show go on apple podcast leave us a five-star review we want to say uh if you want to reach any of us we also have the comic book nation twitter page and you can find us at any of our little uh twitter accounts here for the audio versions i'm at kofi outlaw i'm at aguilar cb I'm at Janelle Wheeler. And I'm at Connor Casey underscore CB. We want to thank Mr. Robert Kirkman for coming on. Kelly Thompson for sitting down with us. Logan Moore, comic book gaming writer. Check out Comic Book Gaming for helping us out today. And Connor Casey for also stopping by to talk some wrestling. 
These shows are getting packed, but we love it. So that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We hope to see you guys next week. Be sure to check out Phase Zero Podcast, our Marvel Podcast Friday, after you see Falcon and Winter Soldier to uh, get the recaps on what happens with this big cameo reveal or not. Peace. Peace.